<laughs> okay, now I've started recording, so now I can go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another on-the-fly episode of The Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack, and with me is... Wifely Duties, Corey. Hello, Wifely Duties. <laughs> you really made me become Jackly Duties Jack today. Husbandly Duties Jack, whatever you want to call him. Uh, once again, I'm recording right uh, directly into my phone with the wonders of app technology. Um, I guess we're kind of giving... Uh, this movie uh, review, the kind of uh, technical attention that this screenwriter gave his brain. <laughs> hey, I have something deep to tell you. Oh, really? Yeah. What is that? Okay. Here's my deep thought. So, sometimes good things happen in life. But, other times, <gasps> bad things happen in life. Oh my god! <laughs> Life is a mixture of good and bad things. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there's our review of life itself. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that music again. I never knew that until I saw this film. I know. How fuck, How crazy is that? Uh, well, anyway, we just got out of the blockbuster sensation, <laughs> Life Itself. Um, <laughs> see, you just can't stop laughing. Um, yeah, so this movie is uh, kind of an interesting one uh, in the fact that we have this movie that um, kind of came and... Um, I, I mean, we knew that this movie was coming for a little while. Yeah. Because we got the trailers, and it was one of those trailers that almost is like the cinematic equivalent of smothering you with a hug. <laughs> I don't mean like giving you a nice hug. I mean, you're gonna hug you! You're gonna feel love! You're gonna feel the feelings of life! So... I should have known what we were getting into. Yeah, and we were warned because this movie's already been out for a week, and it got savage reviews. Yeah, I mean, we're so timely coming to this movie a week later when it's already, like, leaving theaters. We're probably the last people who've seen this movie who are going to see this movie. Yeah, actually, there were a few people in the theater, so... Yeah. Unfortunately, we couldn't really have it to ourselves to make any mocking comments. Although, I don't know if I would have mocked this movie as much as I was just in complete befuddlement <laughs> from the very... You know, this is one of those films that announces itself in the first seconds. <laughs> in the first title card. Um, I, I don't know. How do you explain this thing? Okay, let me give it a shot. Yeah, because I, I think you could do it. All right. So again, this is Life Itself. The this is the new movie from Dan. Uh, what's his name? Fogelberg. Fogelman. The, oh, I think. Fogelberg. He he put out. <laughs> <laughs> I was just testing you because yeah, Dan Fogelberg is like a folk musician. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Really? No, yeah, I didn't know that. I haven't really heard his stuff, but I know the name, so I was just. Yeah, D okay. Dan Fogelman. Okay. Who makes the show This Is Us, which I watch. And. Yeah, he also, uh, if in, in case you don't watch TV, he also 
Oh, wow, he directed that movie? What movie? I just looked him up. He made that movie with Al Pacino called Danny Collins. Oh, yeah. About where, <laughs> I'm Al Pacino! I'm a musician! I'm so here doing music! <laughs> oh, that Annette Benning oh, too. poor Annette Benning. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually... Wow, what a list of credits. So I'm just kind of looking this over, and... He's credited for both Cars and Cars 2. Okay. Uh, the kind of lesser Disney movies. He wrote Crazy Stupid Love, which I actually thought he directed that movie too. And you saw that and I didn't. I watched it on TV and it was very meh. And let's see. Uh, the Seth Rogen, Barbara Streisand movie, The Guilt Trip. The Disney movies, Bolt and Tangled. <laughs> and Fred Claus. <laughs> Fred Claus, everyone. All right, but I, I was off track here. What is life itself about? Life itself is a family drama, and it shows us... Um, a multi-family, generational yeah. drama. It's a multi-generational family saga, which shows us in um, slightly scrambled, non-chronological order pivotal moments of the lives of various characters in the most hallmarky way possible. <laughs> oh god. Oh hallmarky. Well no, it's it's hallmarky by way of someone who's read a lot of uh Tarantino scripts. Yeah. And by by a lot, I mean he's just reread them to the point where they're in his DNA. And And it's a weird um yeah, it's a weird mashup of Tarantino timeline with um, a Hallmark soul see, and no brain. And uh, yeah, and and see, I wondered going into it. Okay, you read a lot of fiction that involves these multi generation family sagas, yeah. and you you really like them usually, or you I do you like them when they're good, and. I do like the show This Is Us. I mean, there are things to nitpick about it, and I don't think This Is Us is, like, OMG amazing, mm. but I do definitely like it, and I like it enough to watch it regularly, and I do think there are moments when This Is Us is, like, very good. Now, it, does he... I don't know, would you know if he writes, like, every episode? I have is no he the idea. showrunner? Because I have to wonder if maybe the success of that show is because he is reined in a little bit. Like, there are other <laughs> there are other producers, there are other writers, and there are people who are trying to make these characters who they are, whereas life itself is just him. He, he's the solo writer-director. And by the way, I got to bring something up. This is going to sound a little petty, um, and you, you probably didn't know about this. So... One of the things about this movie that I've read about, you know, in the in the little bit of press that this movie's been getting, <laughs> uh, no, but the, here's the thing: this movie was a huge deal in uh, in the blacklist. Oh, okay. Which is that? Yeah, I know which the is, blacklist. Yeah, it's it's the screenwriting uh, uh, thing where if your movie is a big deal on the blacklist, then you know that that's a really great sign because. You know, we don't have a Hollywood anymore where somebody can just, you know, 
go in and pitch something. You have to basically win a screenwriting contest. Yeah, so for the for the people who might not know, the blacklist is a list of what are considered to be the best unproduced screenplays in a given year. Yeah, and I mean anybody can submit a script to be evaluated. I mean, I could do it if I want to. After seeing this, I don't know if I feel like I should. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, here's the thing. It this movie is again. We we mentioned we make the Tarantino comparison. It's also fitting that you can compare it. I think to Crash. Yes, it is very crashy. It's crashy, but here's the thing. I say Tarantino because this movie doesn't exactly cut between the various timelines in that case it would have been just really confusing then it would have been more like Babel. Yeah. um in this case you're oh god can we i just can we put a stop to movies that have chapter breaks and i know tarantino does it often he's okay doing it but other filmmakers you gotta cut that crap oh, out the other thing I don't feel like we should worry about having to censor ourselves, so maybe we should just make this an all-spoilers review. Yeah, I guess we haven't really gotten into spoilers or anything about the characters yet. Um, now, I would say, yeah, if we, we gave you the general overview. Um, again, this movie's not very good uh, at all. Uh, I, I will say this um, before we go into spoilers. It does have ambition, and I almost, I feel a little bad for this guy in the sense that he was getting all this praise from people. Uh, you know, if you've read the press about it, he was, he thought he had this really big, tremendous hit on his hands. And like everybody was telling him how great it was. And then he releases the movie and. Yeah. So, I, you know, and it's, it's an original movie. It's not. Something that is based on any property. It's all from Dan Vogelman's brain. And, you know, that that's commendable. It's just you gotta, like, cut back on the saccharine tweeness of it. Yeah, so basically, this is a movie that labors incredibly hard to pull your heartstrings. But it's totally inauthentic. And... I feel like there were certain times maybe where it was trying not to be, but we'll get into that. But I feel like when it was getting close to being authentic, it was just kind of boring. Yeah. So I was also, if I was going to summarize this movie very briefly, the first half was laughably stupid. Oh yeah! Like oh. we were literally laughing out loud, pretty much on the regular. It I don't know. I don't know if I was so much laughing as I was. I had my hand over my face for a lot of the time, and if I could have closed my ears, I probably would have done that too. Um, but yeah, the second half is less goofy, but it's not good either. So it, it just gets kind of boring. Yeah, and again, we'll, we'll get into that soon. Um. Okay, so what this movie does? Yeah, let's get into the spoilers. All right, so spoilers. If you don't want some, if you want to wait, if you're gonna maybe watch this on video or something, you can stop now. If you don't care, then go forward with uh, our spoilerific stuff. Um, okay, so another movie that came to mind watching this, uh -huh. and I think I mentioned this to you in the lobby, was uh, Margaret. Yeah. 
which if you want to go back and uh, listen, we talked about Margaret in uh, Corey's uh, favorite movies episode, because that is one of your all-time favorite movies. It is. Um, and for those who've seen Margaret, or if you, maybe you don't know what Margaret is, Margaret's a story where Anna Paquin is in New York City, and she happens to be walking along one day and sees Mark Ruffalo, bus driver, hits Allison Janney, and very sad scene where Allison Janney dies, and then the rest of the movie follows Anna Paquin as she goes on this kind of personal odyssey of discovery and, you know, the bus driver and stuff like that. And it's, you know, in that movie, when someone got hit by a bus, it felt, like, authentic. Yeah. You know, it, it, you could actually feel yourself, re- like, it, it felt like somebody actually died. And it was very heartbreaking. In this movie, it's like... <laughs> I felt like... Do you remember Mean Girls? Yes, when Rachel McAdams is hit by the car. It's, yeah! So, Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaac are what I thought were the main couple of the movie. And they kind of are, but they aren't. They, they meet in college. They fall in love. Uh, but the framing device in this first part of the movie is Oscar Isaac talking with Annette Benning, who's uh, been assigned as his therapist, uh-huh. and um, he's he's traumatized because um, uh, Olivia Wilde was pregnant, like I guess with only a few weeks to go, yeah, and gets hit by a bus in the most comically. <laughs> baffling what the <laughs> fuck way possible. Like, yeah. the only way that this would have been better... Oh, man, you know what also comes to mind? This is just one step away from being like this bit in Fateful Findings <laughs> where Neil Breen gets hit by the car. <laughs> oh, man, if you, you look that up if, you, if you're curious. Because uh, it's just... That's what this movie hinges on in fucking what the fuck ways i'm sorry to curse so much but the way that they connect this like i said it's like when crash when they try where this writer tries to connect everybody together through this one event yeah so the first part of the movie is oscar isaac is really messed up in the head because he saw his wife get taken out by a malevolent boss (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's like we never see the driver we never see who this guy is like at least in margaret you had mark ruffalo as this person who you could base something on so he's in a like he's in an institution he gets out of the institution. He's still really messed up. And we're sitting in on his therapy sessions with Annette Benning and getting flashbacks to the development of his relationship with Olivia Wilde. And oh. let me tell you, this dialogue oh. is so cringy. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to ask, like, on This Is Us, is this the kind of dialogue that you were exposed to? Well... I'm just going to be making a lot of This Is Us comparisons throughout the whole review. This Is Us, the characters are very speechy and preachy. Yeah. 
So I will admit that, that the characters don't really have, um, don't really dialogue with each other naturally. They monologue. Basically, characters stand around and monologue at each other a lot in This Is Us. Yeah. And I know that the idea, though, is that... Although generally the monologues are better than the monologues in this movie. Yeah. Well, maybe it's also because in This Is Us, I would think that because it's a TV show, you get more time with the characters. Exactly. So in a TV show, you can make people invested in characters and you can make them feel like real people. Yeah. And in this case, I didn't quite feel invested in these characters even though, oh, we need to talk about the 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 ways that this director fucking puts his actors into like this life story of Olivia Wilde's that is just we're seeing this because what it, it adds more depth to her character, and even though we're not going to see her anymore after a while. I, I loved how randomly there was a scene with a bunch of Olivia Wilde throwing snowballs at each other. Oh, yeah! Oh! Oh, I just had that flood back into my head. Yeah, there's a bit where... All right. As part of the narrative device in this first section, again, Oscar Isaac's having this therapy with Annette Benning, and the writer shows them talking to each other um, almost, I guess, out of, like, it would have been better if they had just made it, like, magic and done it like It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> it, these characters will suddenly appear in Oscar Isaac's flashbacks to things. But at one point, yeah, there are, like, 20 Olivia Wilde. And what is she doing? Playing, throwing snowballs. Yeah, she's throwing snowballs. And, again, yeah, she, we're, we're seeing Olivia Wilde's childhood uh, where her parents died in a car crash, then she got molester uncle. So obviously, it, there is a vehicular vendetta against this family. Couldn't it have been just like why did she need all that backstory? Like, I is the whole I, I know the whole idea. Dan Fogman would probably sit me down and be like, Jack, 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 <laughs> Jack. So many things in life are hard. So many tragic things happen to people, but we love and persevere. See, this movie is as deep as crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> See, I'm making the references right, unlike this movie. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering why I make the Tarantino comparisons, they like this 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 fucking director shoves it in my face by having. Um, uh, the Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde characters dress up as John Travolta and Uma Thurman from Pulp Fiction. Which, by the way, the Gilmore Girls did that like ten years ago. Oh, you did know. they? There was an there was an episode where Rory and her boyfriend Logan go to a Pulp Fiction party. Wow! So he was kind of ripping off the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I see you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I know you uh, are. I, I see you, Dan Fogelman. I'm looking at you like Maggie Simpson looks at that other baby on The Simpsons. I know you watched the Gilmore Girls episode, Pulp Friction. You even know the name of the episode? I think so. I think it's called Pulp Friction. <laughs> Let me Google it. No, it's it's okay. I guess you're really good. I have right to now. know. All right. Anyway, so my point is in, the, in this whole first section, 
I feel bad for Oscar Isaac and Annette Benning. Like, you know, you know that they're such good actors and they're trying with this material. Like, I could tell that, yes, it's Pulp Friction. Um, you know, Oscar Isaac is like one of our best actors, you know? And I like Olivia Wilde and, you know, it's just... But they're oh, giving... it was a Quentin Tarantino party, not just a Pulp Fiction party. Uh, okay, uh, so my point, though, <laughs> yeah. you're getting me off track here. Um, you know, they they're, they are trying, I think. But, you know, for example, the way that we're introduced to Oscar Isaac is he's, like, we see him in a coffee shop. Being a total asshole to some poor baristas. Oh, man, and... This week's been crazy because, you know, yesterday we had the Brett Kavanaugh hearing and, you know, he kind of ruined beer for me. (laughs) And now I feel like Oscar Isaac's character has ruined Bob Dylan for me, (laughs) specifically (laughs) that one album that they keep coming back to. Yeah. Time out of mind. Crit- oh, oh, man. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but near the end of the movie. Like the movie. When. What's up? We're jumping around like the movie. Ah. Near the end of the movie where this narrator, and God, we got to talk about the narrator a bit, when she talks about, critics said that Bob Dylan's album, Time Out of Mind, was this very melancholy movie, but had this album that had this one bright spot. I don't remember any critics saying that. What? I was alive in 1997. (laughs) Yeah, and you were kind of more of like a Bob Dylan fan back in the day than I was. I don't remember any critics saying that. Yeah, and it's so weird, too, like how the... Just to jump off on the Bob Dylan thing for a second. So, yeah, like Oscar Isaac is in Bob Dylan, and then uh, his daughter, who... Uh, well, we'll get into it in a second, but she also, she grows up parentless. Yeah, so basically, Olivia Wilde is killed by the evil boss, Yeah, But the baby survives. Because the baby's almost full term, the baby survives. And Oscar Isaac doesn't. <laughs> you know what was deceptive, though? What? It just occurs to me, though, in the flashbacks, I guess this was meant to be deceptive, like a screenwritery trick. This is like, hate that it was on the blacklist. This movie's full of lies. Um, <laughs> there was that bit that he was jumping back to where he breaks up with her in the bar. Was that just in his head? Yeah, because he wasn't breaking up with her. What happened was he's going to therapy and he keeps talking about how his wife left him. His wife left him. So, I think Fogelman is trying to trick us into believing that they divorced. <sighs> However, I've watched a movie before, so <laughs> I know she's dead. Yeah, and it's not a shock when it's yeah, happened. like it. So he's trying to be he's trying to trick us into believing that Oscar Isaac is so depressed because his wife has divorced him or has left him. Yeah, and not that she has left the mortal coil. Yeah. So and, and you know what? Too that what, what I found annoying and a bit pretentious about this movie is that he thinks he's being clever by weaving it into, like, the real text of the movie. Um, because in one of the flashbacks... Oh, when, God. When Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaac are in college, uh, she's writing this term paper. Oh, she's an English major, all right. She decides to write a, a book 
uh, she writes a thesis about the unreliable narrator. And the unreliable narrator is... Life itself. Yep. <laughs> now, you said you thought that the movie actually called her out on it. I don't know if it did. I feel like this was... No, the movie, I thought it was going to, and then it didn't. So, the one moment of, like, joy I had not at this movie's expense was after listening to Olivia Wilde word vomit her absolutely awful thesis (laughs) in two different scenes. Yeah. The voiceover says her thesis was a disaster, and I was actually excited because I was like, Oh, this movie realizes what ha- she sounds like a total fucking moron, and I was really excited. So I actually really enjoyed that one sentence, that literally one sentence <laughs> in the script. But then the next sentence said, "And her professor tried to sleep with her, thereby proving her thesis was correct." Yeah, and then the joy went away. But, but what I wondered though was, did Dan Fogelman also put that in there as a comment on his own movie? That we're getting the unreliable narrator or something. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, the movie has unreliable narrators in it, so he thinks he's smart, speechifying about the un- oh, unreliable narrator. Oh, man, and uh, I know he's only in five minutes of the movie, and, you know, God bless him, he got paid, but... Samuel Jackson. There are more respectable ways to make a dollar, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> like any other way. Aren't the Capital One commercials doing all right by you? You have to. <laughs> Samuel Jackson popped up in this movie in the very beginning as like, you know, it's like Oscar Isaac is trying to write a screenplay, and he has Samuel Jackson as the narrator, and and that's why too, by the way. It's not, if Dan Fogelman wanted to be a big surprise about Olivia Wilde uh, being, you know, that, you know, quote, she left him as opposed to not being hit by a bus, he shouldn't have opened the movie with Annette Benning getting, getting hit, hit by, by, a bus. by the bus in the script version where Samuel Jackson actually appears and comments <laughs> on Annette Benning. Oh, let's look at our hero. Oh, her face. Damn. I, I can't make this up. This movie has the like. It's like he's. It's almost like when he did Dolomites and um, <laughs> Chirac. Hey, hey, that movie is do the right thing compared to this. Yeah, but it reminded me a little bit of that. Only Chirac is much better. Well, course. the weird thing in that in this too is like he's narrating the opening minutes and. He's also yelling, like, it's supposed to be conscious that he's in, like, a control booth. And I think that the idea is, oh, he's, Dan Fogelman's writing um, this because Oscar Isaac is writing a bad script. But it still seems like a bad script in your movie. Yeah, it it doesn't come off cleverly if I if to, to say it. And Oscar Isaac, um, his character is terrible. So when he shoots himself in the face right in front of Annette Benning, I was pretty happy he was. Gone. Hey, well that is a big pretty big spoiler. <laughs> See, I thought that for a second that wasn't going to stick in the movie. I thought like he was going to shoot himself and then like appear next to his body and be like, "Oh hey, I just shot myself." Hey, yeah. I thought so too. But no, that's where the movie actually 
I guess, tries to become a little bit more of a real movie. Because I feel like the first, quote, chapter is both the messiest and yet at the same time the most bizarrely fascinating one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The beginning of this movie is so genuinely weird. Yeah, because the story, (laughs) it, it has the framing of him talking with Annette Bening, the therapist, but it's also jumping around so crazily from one thing to another. Yeah, it's kind of like, imagine if the, you know, crazy people you heard talking to themselves on the subway, imagine if they were actually interesting to listen to. That's kind of the first part of this movie, where it's terrible, but it's kind of bizarrely fascinating. I will, all right, I will say something nice, though. I think Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde, again, even though they had some really crummy dialogue, they had chemistry. Yeah, and I mean, they're obviously trying to elevate the material. Yeah, they're trying to elevate the material. Just, the script is um, awful. Yeah, and Mandy Patinkin is, shows up as Oscar Isaac's oh, father. Oh, that's who that was. I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't know who yeah, he was. the dude from Homeland and a bunch of other things. Yeah. And he's good, too. Uh, he And he plays then... Oh, is it Olivia cook let me let me make sure because then it jumps ahead to like he's chapter oscar two. isaac's yes. father yeah really. oscar isaac's father and then again this is a multi-generational saga of a sort and so olivia cook is the daughter oh i didn't oh i forgot about that the chapter is called dylan dempsey yeah but oh it just hit me though Oh, oh, they named her Dylan. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Fuck this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. You just learned Why are they also, by the way, why is she in the Dylan? I mean, I know that sometimes, you know, that the younger generation will follow in the parents' footsteps. But I don't know anybody who's, like, 20 right now and listens to Dylan. I kind of was, I was trying to figure out the timeline that I guess that, uh, Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde, they were they, they were kind of together in maybe the late 90s, 2000s. Yeah, the timeline of this movie makes no sense because... It seems like it's all set in present day. We're told that the Olivia Wilde character was born in 1985. And if she dies right around the time that, like, 97, 98, 99, um, she's obviously not, like... 22, 23 years old. Oscar Isaac, who is the same age as her because they're contemporaries in college, Oscar Isaac is obviously not in his early 20s. Yeah, doesn't he say he's 35? Yeah, so they say in the movie that six months after the death of Olivia wow, this Wilde... Just, this just hit me. Yeah. Because I, I, thought, I thought they were together for years because I thought that was the whole thing when they're in college. He says, let's get a dog. And I'll have kids, but not right now. Like, let's wait. Yeah, so... So I thought that they were together for years, It only makes sense if... The timeline only makes sense if... Um... Olivia Wilde dies in Mm -hmm. the present, and then Dylan's stories Mm -hmm. in the future. Man, there's something else about this movie, too, that seems very naive and i'm you know god bless dan fogelman for trying to do this but at the very end of the movie quote chapter five is spoiler the granddaughter of will and abby 
the Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde characters. And she's reading, like, the life story in a bookstore. Yeah. Now, the only thing I could think of, though, is, was she making it all up? But then, why couldn't Dan Fogelman just, you know, shoot things period-like? You know, like, make the make Will and Abby's story, like, in the 70s. And then yeah. the then make the Dylan character, make her in the 90s. That way you could have the granddaughter being in present day and it would make sense. Yeah, because the fact is the whole movie feels like it's set in the present, yet he gives us specific dates and ages that don't make any sense. So no. he tells us at one point that he tells us Olivia Wilde's character is born in 1985. He tells us the Oscar Isaac character is 35 when he dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So six 30 months yeah, 35 would be which around... Which means he would be born in, like, 1983. Yeah. Which makes sense. And you know, Oscar Isaac isn't some old-ass college student. Because they do flashbacks. When they do flashbacks yeah, to him... Yeah, he's younger. So, but then... So... Yeah, but... So, so we're jumping ahead into the future with Dylan. But I guess things just aren't changing in the future much? Yeah, it's just the same. He should have been a little more fucking creative. That would have been interesting, is if, like, we saw some futuristic elements, but no, everything looks like it's 2018. Yeah, and I mean, we are 33 and 34. I know technology is totally the same 20 years, 20 years ago. But, I know. But that's why I said, though, that if this, if the granddaughter, if, if the character at the very end is supposed to be in the future of, like, I don't know, the 2040s? Yeah. And we still have bookstores? You know what's also <laughs> funny? I'm like, hey, man! <laughs> Great! The second half of the movie, which we haven't really talked about because it's boring, yeah. that feels like it's set in the, like, distant past. That Isn't feels it? like <laughs> that feels like it was set on the farm from... You remember the opening of The Godfather Part 2? Yes. <laughs> you know, with, uh... My name is Andalini. You killed my mother. <laughs> ah! Yeah, the... Okay, so... The whole point of this movie is supposed to be... We're, oh, we're shown oh, I'm how... Rolling, oh, I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. We're shown how the narrator's parents get together. So Dylan Dempsey... Oh, no. The doomed child... Please explain it while I close my eyes. <laughs> so Dylan Dempsey is the doomed child of Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaac. Oscar, I said Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Okay. Then Rodrigo Gonzalez was a boy who was on the bus when Olivia Wilde gets pancaked. And got traumatized by what he saw. So when you think about it, Rodrigo Gonzalez, so he's on like... The second half of the movie takes place, I guess, in... Is it Italy or Spain? It's set in Spain. Okay, yeah. It's set in Spain, and Teo Banderas runs this olive uh, plantation. Yeah, it's set on a plantation, and the relationship it, between uh, Antonio Banderas and the other guy... The, you feels- mean you mean Spanish Channing Tatum? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, like I'm it's joking. Setting like the, 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 1800s the, the actor's name. The actor's name is Sergio Perez Mancheta. I didn't know who this guy is. He's and... in. Let me look at a couple of his credits. Uh, Resident Evil Afterlife. 
uh, other stuff. He loves uh, his family by abandoning them. <laughs> oh, 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 we have to unpack that. Put a pin in that, as we say. Okay, but let's get back to the, the timeline, because okay. we were trying to explain so, this. And I just, I'm having a brain aneurysm here thinking about so this. So, the whole second half of the movie kind of feels like it's set in the past. It feels like it's a different movie. <laughs> Uh, well, not quite, but almost. And the, it's mostly in Spanish with uh, subtitles. And the by first the way. half of the movie, even though it spans over twenty years, um, actually, it spans. It goes from the time Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde are in their early twenties to when their child is twenty-one. Right. So the movie spans like 30 years and all feels like it took it takes place in 2018 and let me ask you this it all this occurred to me a little bit for a moment before the very last treacly moment of this movie which i'll get to later uh. so the rodrigo gonzalez kid is on the bus and he witnesses his future uh wife like in like being inside of Olivia Wilde, he witnesses his. Oh God, I'm trying to think about how to say this. He's a little boy on a bus who watches the, the mother future mother of his child inside of the belly of Olivia Wilde. So basically, he sees his mother-in-law get mowed down. He sees his mother-in-law get mowed down, but it seems like though by the time he gets to New York and. You know, has that little magical moment where he meets mm. um, Dylan on the, uh, uh, you know, on the on the bench eating crying. a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, just like her grandparents. When wait, I forgot about that. Yeah. What? So wait, when were they eating a peanut butter and jelly? No, I know their band was called the. P I know no, our band's called the PB and J's. When Dylan is on that bench crying, she's eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. And Olivia Wilde's mother was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, Paul Haggis would look at this <laughs> script and go, too much, man, too much. <laughs> Slow it down, buddy. Like, the amount of coincidence in this movie, like, yeah. I, I, I just, what was he thinking writing this script? Like, the whole idea, and then... Yeah, the, this Rodrigo kid and Dylan, they meet, and then you hear the narrator say, and this is how my parents met. Yeah. So, basically, oh. though, the second half of the movie is charting, like, Rodrigo's early life. Now, Rodrigo's father is, um, like, a noble peasant who becomes a foreman, and he deliberately works extra long hours to handpick olives. <laughs> because if you rake them, they uh, aren't as good, I guess, or so, something. Antonio Banderas, who is the guy who owns this giant farm where they all work. And is probably, like, he's probably giving, like, my favorite real performance in this movie when I think so. about it. He was the only person, like, I can't really hate on for no. being in this movie. Because, honestly, <laughs> he, was he actually, needs the work. He was given okay dialogue. Well, also, why does he need why does When's he the, the work? last time you've seen Antonio Banderas in a movie? I feel like I've seen him in something recently. I feel like I haven't seen him in a movie in, like, ten years. I feel like he needs the work. <clears throat> I, no, I, I don't know about that. Oh, he was in an Almodovar movie uh, a few years back. 
Um, oh, and and Knight of Cups, the Terrence Malick movie. So Antonio Banderas needs the money, I think. So I I forgive him for being in this, but anyway, he, he I think he comes out of this probably the best out of all of them. Yeah. Like I feel like Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde are probably wanting to like distance themselves from this. So. The noble peasant guy who is a good worker and a good guy, he marries this woman that he loves and they have a kid. And then he, though, says to Antonio Banderas, I will work for you and I will work for you, you know, well, and I will be a good worker, but I never want to have any kind of intimate relationship with you. Like, I will never be your friend. I will only be your employee. Because he has weird attitudes about the division between work yeah, and Yeah, like, they don't really... It feels weird. Like, they they, he, they skirt right up to making uh, Spanish, uh, uh, Spanish Tatum, like, yeah. an interesting character. Uh, uh, I was about to say, make a <laughs> he joke. He really does look like... He Chase. does! Or a little bit of, like, young Mickey Rourke. Also, he emotes like Channing Tatum does or doesn't. <laughs> He's pretty bad. He's There's a reason bad. I've never seen this actor in anything before. Yeah. But anyway. But anyway, so the, he meets this girl. They have a little boy. The boy is, you know, as soon as, of course, as soon as they said, we're going to take a vacation in New York. Yeah. You so know what's going to happen. So basically... Antonio Banderas starts visiting the wife and child when the peasant guy is at work, who's actually a foreman. I'm being kind of mean calling him a peasant. But anyway, um, noble peasant is very jealous of this. And and leaves. Yeah, so yeah, there's this also this thing where Antonio Banderas falls in love with noble peasant's wife. Uh, yeah, her name... Uh, uh, for the record, uh, Isabel. I yeah, Isabel, played by Laia Costa. Oh, and the funny thing is, is neither of these men um, think about how she feels. Yeah. So basically, yeah, that, well, I mean, eventually they have the scene where she, you know, tries to straighten out her man when he's about to leave, and she's like, "No, I wanted you, you, because when I looked into your eyes, I saw your smile." Wasn't so, that the line of dialogue? She, that he was smiled cool. with his eyes. He smiled with his eyes. So And I rolled with my eyes. <laughs> so Noble Peasant is jealous of the fact that Antonio Banderas is, you know, sniffing around his wife with all of his money and stuff. So he decides I'm going to leave for the good of the family. And even though... But it makes no sense. Like, no. it seems like he still loves, like, his wife and kid. I mean, he, he has, also he has gets, to... He also develops an alcohol problem. Oh, I, I, I kind of zoned out. Yeah, I think, he becomes that. an alcoholic. Because what happens is they take the kid to New York. Yeah. Rodrigo witnesses the bus accident. He gets trauma and starts peeing the bed. Yeah, he gets, like, little kid PTSD... They have to send him to a special therapist, which Antonio Banderas pays for. Yeah. Meanwhile, Noble Peasant develops a drinking problem and, you know, mopes around a lot. And yeah, there's a lot of moping during this section. I feel like that's why it's not... I don't know if I would call it all terrible, but it's not interesting enough. So it just kind of lays there and... 
Yeah, so the first half of this movie is really nuts and it's bad, but it's so weird that it feels kind of, it feels passionate in a way. Like I would say that in terms of obviously performance and uh how it's shot, it's better than something like The Room, but it feels like it's coming from a similar confused but very personal place. The second half of the movie is not as ridiculous, like it's not as goofy, but the no. characters are still not realistic people, and it just gets kind of boring. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, he'll still do little stylistic tics, like... I'm going to show my character aging by showing him running through the fields and we see him aging as he crosses each like olive thing. And the relationship between Isabel, the Antonio Banderas character and Noble Peasant doesn't make any sense. Like the yeah. way that the three of them interact with each other just doesn't have any it, emotional it, authenticity it, to it at all. It would have made more sense if you know, they showed the Antonio Banderas, like, you know, again, maybe he's not allowed there, but he falls in love with Isabel. But I don't really know if that happened aside from, you know, like, they don't really seem like they fall romantically in love. It's more like, I'm going to take care of your kid and be around. And he, at one point she says, you're a good man, but... I didn't get what was yeah, the connection so there. The thing is, yeah, Antonio Banderas falls in love with her, but we don't get the sense that it's oh, reciprocated. Oh, and we oh we gotta get to the we gotta get to the worst part of this section though. Which you're kinda leaving out. The I have one request of you. Uh Channing uh, Spanish Tatum has one <laughs> request of Antonio Banderas. You must, even though I'm leaving, you must keep me abreast of things with letters. Yeah, so basically... <laughs> Spanish, what? Spanish Channing Tatum gives his wife to Antonio Banderas, basically, even though his wife says repeatedly, I don't love Antonio Banderas. I will never love him. Um, but basically, he gives him his wife. And then, but says, write me letters about it all you know, the time. Like, I, I have to assume that, um, and again, the, the, the character who plays the father, uh, uh, his, his name is Javier. Uh, does Javier, Javier and Isabel, they get married, right? Like, they're actually married? Yes. Well, like, would, couldn't she, like, go after him for, I don't know how marriage laws work in Spain, but, you know, he leaves her. And, you know, I know he's, I know yeah. they're still on the rich guy's olive plantation, but what if, like, they got booted out? They'd well, be none of it makes any sense, because when he says, I'm leaving you so you can shack up with Antonio Banderas and get a better life, when she says, no, I want to be with you, if he actually cared about his family... Why wouldn't he just stay with her? Yeah. And then, why does she, if she says, what she says in two different scenes, yeah. no, I don't love him, why does she stay with him anyway? Yeah. Uh, you know what, though? I have to say, though, in the second half of the movie, where it does start to get a little crazy and weird again, uh, so Rodrigo goes to New York, and 
a little bit more narrative fakery or trickery, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, Rodrigo starts a relationship with this other girl. And at first you think, oh, okay, so are we going to be following, uh, you know, how maybe they meet and fall in love and we're watching this other couple and how they meet and fall in love and stuff to contrast um, Abby and uh, uh, Will. No, uh, she turns out to be a total cunt. Yeah. Like, she throws, like, an April Fool's Day, like, I'm pregnant joke at him. And I guess because they don't have April Fool's Day in rural Spain, <laughs> he doesn't get it. I kind of thought April Fool's Day is just something everybody knows. Well, what but he way? he's all like, oh, my God, you're pregnant? What if the... Th-? And she's like, okay, so what if there are three options? One, we have the baby. Two, again, abortion. Three, April Fool's. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and this scene, I was watching it, and I, I did that thing that I do in the theater sometimes where I had my hands up, you know, like Mother Mary, and I was like, what? Well, even before we knew it was an April Fool's joke, I was thinking to myself, why is this college Ooh. student oh. so chill about oh. being pregnant? Oh, we have oh one more little thing that I saw you audibly kind of starting to laugh and like <laughs> trying to catch your breath. There's one beat where they're walking along the city and she's <laughs> she keeps on nattering and see so you know what I'm about to say. Yeah. And uh, and I know it sounds like I'm, we're just recounting events of the movie, but this movie's like acrimony nuts. It, so they're walking down the street, and she suddenly walks into the street, and it looks like, from his point of view, she's about to be hit by a taxi. And then he pulls her out just in the nick of time. Every car in this movie is like the shark from Jaws. Every car in this movie is like Christine. Whether it's a bus or a car. Like, the alternate version of this movie is just about how cars are taking out happy couples and making children orphans who are molested and left very unhappy and traumatized. What was the point of this movie? I guess as you said. To communicate the message. That life is both good and bad. And sometimes uh, life will make you feel very sad. But once you get through uh, the sadness, you'll be happy again. Uh, and also, love is good. Oh, God. We have to talk about the very ending now. <laughs> because the very end of this is what made me kind of hate this movie the most. Because, <laughs> actually, honestly, the second half, even though it was a little bit boring and groan-deucing, I wasn't hating it completely. Like, I was just like, all right, well, this is what it is. But then in the last minute, when they finally reveal the whole, this is how my parents met, yeah. and they lived together for 43 years, yeah. or whatever it is, and... And then he, they show a bit of the of of Rodrigo, I guess, having his final moments with his mother, and the cam uh. and the camera is so close up to her face. As a director, this made me just lose my mind. Uh, as far as this was the pinnacle of Dan Fogelman being like, feel things, 
feel things. You must feel things right now because the camera was up to her face in such a position and her eyes were like, you know, filled with tears and she was delivering this like 500 minute monologue about you must love Life will bring you to your knees, but then if you get back up again, you will find love. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, this is exactly what, you know, people are dying. This is the kind of final talks they have with people. Yeah. Like it, it, it was just such treacly manipulative garbage. And, and I feel, you know, and I don't, I don't know if maybe Dan Fogelman, he maybe it was coming from a good place. Maybe maybe he thought he was making like a genuine uh-huh. statement of some kind. <laughs> oh, he made a statement, all right. <laughs> he left off the e. Um, but he, but he, I don't. He must have just been high on his supply, man. Yeah. He must have thought, "Hey, I was on the blacklist. I'm the shit." And I, I don't know. Maybe the other actors thought it was deep too, but it. You know, and again, as we said, the a lot of the actors are trying. This has, you know, multiple Oscar nominees, and I think the only person that gives a bad performance is Spanish Channing Tatum. I think every other actor is like fine to good. It's just that the material is awful. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I have to guess that they. Maybe this script was really hot, and, you know, again, Dan Fogelman now from This Is Us, he's really on a roll. But somebody should have told him, look, man, your your script needs one more pass. It needs a very hard pass, but sit down and wrestle with some of the things you're working with. Well, you suggested to me, and I don't know this for sure, that on This Is Us... He probably has a lot of other people reining him in, because TV shows, too, aren't are TV shows are rarely the product of one mind. They're a collaborative process. Yeah. So I could, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, given how much we're cracking on this film. I could definitely see elements of this is us in this movie. This is us has that same kind of fractured chronology of flashbacks. And they've introduced flash forwards now, even though they still don't use them very often. There's only been a handful on the show. But they have, like, multiple flashbacks in every episode. They've introduced flash-forwards. And they also occasionally do, like, tricky things. Like, you think you're seeing one thing, but you're seeing something else. And This Is Us has treacly monologues in it sometimes. And I think the problem for me is, you know, it's not... Having that type of, you know, uh, fakery, it's not inherently bad as in writing but you need to have some real emotional honesty and i just i didn't get that so much from this it no, was it, it was none. trying but for example like for example the movie hints that maybe oscar isaac has some emotional and mental problems but it doesn't seem like he does until the accident yeah, and another thing is, for literally one scene in the movie, they introduce something almost like that trick they do in The Affair, where they show us two scenes. Oh, the with one a that very, with, yeah, where they're in bed. Yeah, so they show us a scene of Olivia Wilde in bed with Oscar Isaac 
talking about Time Out of Mind, the Bob Dylan album. And in the one scene, it's a very sweet, sappy scene where, like, they're laughing and cuddling. And it's oh so charming. And then it's another scene where they're fighting with each other in the bed. Yeah. And it's some of the very same dialogue, but the delivery is totally different. And maybe if the movie had pursued that for um, liter- uh, more than one scene, it might have been interesting. But you know what? Ultimately, Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde's relationship doesn't matter. The details don't matter. All that matters is she gets hit by that bus. And again, <laughs> so much of the writing trying to force like a turd <laughs> I like to make that comparison sometimes, and you don't see it, but my hand is doing like I'm like jamming something, and it's my hand is contorted. It this whole thing of the 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 paths that cross stuff, and again, that was it was already terrible and crash, but he does it here too, where you know it, it's one thing to try to have that whole message, where again you boil it down to. Good things happen and bad things happen. But this movie isn't just that. It's also your paths are going to cross in extraordinary ways. You're going to be a little boy on a bus watching your mother-in-law die (laughs) from getting hit on the bus you're on (laughs) while your future wife is in the belly of (laughs) that woman. Yeah, so... Like, is what I'm saying sound crazy? Yeah, And all this craziness to get at the totally banal final message that life is a mix of good and bad things. Oh, yeah. And also the way that the narrator, this girl who I guess we're meant to also be unreliable narrator. (laughs) You know, we don't know that it's her, that she's just reading us this story. And then at the very end like the music the way the music kind of rises up as we're looking at the whole life as a whole thing uh god i don't know what else to say about this we've been going on probably way too long than this movie deserves this movie sucks um but i felt very passionately that we should talk about it because yeah there clearly is a lot to unpack in this movie so it's I have to hand it this. It's more fascinating as a bad movie than, like, Assassination Nation was. Yeah. Which we also saw last week, and we we don't recommend that at all. We only see bad movies. It's my fault. (laughs) Yeah, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What what are you doing to our happy movie marriage? (laughs) Um, But we should correct that soon. So, again, Life Itself, which, by the way, one last note. Life itself is also the name, and I really resent this too on on uh, Fogelman's part. Life itself is the name of Roger Ebert's memoir, and uh, he and also he, it, there's a documentary made also called Life itself. So I don't like this idea that again. And this title's not really that original anyway, but it works better for you know a, a book, I guess. But Oh, but also at the end, though, that, that woman's right ha- wrote a book called Life Itself. I want the ghost of Roger Ebert to come and be like, I hate your movie. Hate, 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 hate it. Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, old reference. Um, hopefully next time, though, we'll talk about better movies. What do you say? Okay. Because we we've watched some good movies lately 
hopefully we'll bring our our thoughts about those movies to you soon um so until next uh ways of cinema time uh make sure to follow us on facebook and twitter and uh we're on ways of cinema at gmail.com for email until next time i'm jack i'm Corey. and remember the wages of cinema is hugs good times bad <laughs> times <laughs> death by bus <laughs> have a good night <laughs> <laughs>